This week on the podcast, I get to sit on the opposite side of the mic. I got the privilege of being interviewed on the Injured List podcast, a podcast by Brian Scott. And I thought he did a, a really good job with the interview. And I got to share really all the things that I've been learning over the last six months of conducting the interviews with the guests that you've seen. So you get to see some collective thoughts from all of the interviews of the past kind of leading up into this one, as well as my thoughts and reasonings for doing this podcast, a little bit of background on my athletic journey um, in detail as well. And I think it just sums up a lot of the concepts that we've been hearing from these different speakers that I've been bringing on, different athletes that I've been bringing on the podcast. So I think this will will sum it up. It's a it's a great episode to kind of visualize or summarize the recovery process as a whole and how that translates into performance. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Injured List. Your host, Brian Scott here. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest on the show is Chase Kraft. Chase is host of his own podcast, Science of Sports Recovery. You can find it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast episodes. Chase is a former four-time Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference champion out of the University of Sioux Falls in South Dakota. He competed in indoor track and cross country. While there, he earned All-American honors, led his team to a fifth-place finish at the Cross-Country Nationals. In 2017, he was ranked in the top 25 in the nation in all Division II for the Indoor Mile. After going through a period of burnout, Jace took a year off from running and then came back strong. He now competes and trains for obstacle course racing, owns a business called Perfect My Podcast, and hosts his own podcast titled Science of Sports Recovery. Through interviews with world-class athletes, coaches, researchers, and experts on his podcast, Jace helps unlock the key components of athletic recovery to enable athletes to learn to recover faster, feel better, and reach their full potential. Jace is the perfect guest to have on the show, as I am often asked good ways to recover, and I don't really have much of an answer. So here to provide me with those answers and all of you is Jace Kraft. This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, share the podcast with your friends. Or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com. Welcome to the episode, guys. We're back from break. Um, my special guest today, Mr. Jace Kraft. Jace has his own podcast, but what I really uh, brought Jace on to talk about today was his previous collegiate running career, which was 
actually very successful. And um, you've got quite a laundry list of uh, accomplishments out there uh, as a cross-country athlete, correct? And you were at a Division II school um, out in the Midwest. Uh, give me a little bit of history about your career uh, in collegiate uh, cross-country, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, so I was a cross-country indoor track and outdoor track athlete, so pretty much in-season nine months of the year. Um, you know, I, I came in to a D2 school in just a little, little town in South Dakota. Um, I came from a small high school as well. So I was like, I came to college and I was like, whoa, there's people that are faster than me. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, a, like, that's an eye-opening experience for a lot of uh, really good <laughs> high school athletes. It's like all of a sudden, the playing field is much more level now. Yeah, exactly. I got into my first ever cross-country race which was an 8k, um, which is 3k longer than I ever ran. Is that a real, is that a real thing? I don't even remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Is 8k an actual competitive distance? Yeah. Then for whatever reason in collegiate cross country, we do 8k's all year. And then our regional national meet is a 10k. Go figure. It doesn't make any sense, but that's, that's what we do. (laughs) And (laughs) so, yeah, but I, I started out the first 8k ever and just with the lead because that's what I did all high school right it was just went out and, and led the race and uh I burnt up so badly oh, it was like I 3k and I wanted to die um and then I just gradually fell back and stuff but then I learned kind of how to actually run um uh, and you know I kind I got my my butt kicked you know in the beginning and then I learned the the sport again kind of had to relearn it um but then in in my freshman year of indoor I won the the mile and the 1k at conference um I was an all-american in the DMR which distance medley relay nice I was the 800 meter leg of that race um at nationals and then um multiple conference champions um and then my senior year we led the team to a fifth place finish at nationals in cross country. And that was kind of my, uh, claim to fame, if you will. Um, one, one of the most, uh, proudest, com- uh, accomplishments was that fifth place finish just based on the whole career leading up to that. Nice. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean that, I don't think people, uh, listening, uh, if they don't really know college sports very well, especially as you start looking at division three, two, one, you know, all we really hear about on the news and stuff is the big time division one athletics, but yeah. there's so many more divisions and conferences and, uh, skill sets that go from top to bottom. There's so <laughs> much competition out there. So, so no matter what level you're at to earn an all American status takes quite a bit. I mean, you're an accomplished athlete in my book. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and it speaks volumes as to how successful you were and how good you were. Um, you know, one of the other reasons why I brought Chase on was because of his podcast. He has a podcast that deals with the science of sport recovery. And Chase, we, we've had some conversations off off the air here where um, I've told you that I've been involved recently in a lot of running podcasts where I've been the guest. And a lot of the questions I get center around the chronic running injuries and things. Throughout your career, what were some of the toughest injuries you have had to endure or overcome in order to reach that successful level that you got to? Yeah. I mean, with endurance sports, it's, there's so many common injuries that every endurance athlete, especially in like running there, there's common themes over and over that I think 
any runner really has to deal with one being chin splints, another being runner's knee, the other being tight hips and it band issues. Um, and then plantar fasciitis, you know, and I've had the run of them. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I actually had a pretty, uh, I, I wouldn't say bad case, but, uh, a case of it band issues in my knee leading up to the conference meet when I won the mile in, in 1K. Um, so I had like very reduced training oh, um, as far as running volume, but then a lot of cross train to get through that injury. And I came into that meet, um, well, uh, you know, fit, I guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> enough to win um, nice. and, and stuff. But yeah, so I'd never had uh, one injury that was like a broken bone or anything like that. But with, endurance sports it's all those overuse injuries which are very preventable (laughs) if you know what you're looking for and you know what you're doing thank you thank you for that Um, statement thank you for that statement it's it's nice to hear that coming from a runner who understands because oftentimes when i do my guests speaking on podcasts it's not necessarily to competitive runners sometimes it's just to recreational Mm -hmm. runners and that gets lost on them very very easily (laughs) so thank you yeah you you have to understand your body though right because i think that's where like an elite athlete differs from the average Joe for sure. The average Joe just doesn't know like what their body is supposed to respond. Like, I mean, I've had over 15 years of training now. Um, and I'm only 26. So, I mean, I've been training my whole life and I know like what my body is supposed to feel like when it's sore versus like when I'm about to get injured now. So I get injured a lot less. And, and it took you a while though to get to that point. Correct. Totally. And you have to, you, you have to do both. You have to get injured. You have to be sore after a workout. So then you can actually know what that, that feels like. Um, and when I say you have to get injured, I don't mean you have to get injured and then be out for days, you know, but if you're able to be sore and then say like, you know, push something a little bit too far, and have to take a few days off and you're like, okay, that's what that felt like. Like, if I get that feeling again or start to get that feeling again, I know I need to adjust something. That's not always a day off. You know, that could just be in your recovery routine, your sleep routine, your nutrition, um, those kinds of things, but something has to adjust. Otherwise you're going down a bad road. I've always said that uh, my track athletes, my cross country athletes throughout the years were always, um, they, they, uh, they seem to be very regimented. They always have a very specific or set schedule they know every little minute detail about their day and their training <laughs> regimen. And their eyes are always on the clock because essentially that's really what you're competing against, right? It's yourself and the clock. 100%. And I just thought it, compared to any other athlete out there, there's nobody else like them. And that can be a good thing, as, as you point out, because you learn your body and you learn the things that you know are good and bad for it. Um, but on the same time, it can be a little detrimental because... They become so focused and so honed in that it's really hard to get them to deviate from that that behavior. <laughs> totally, um, yeah. And, and I see that a lot in yeah. nutrition when yeah. it comes to us, us, us endurance runners, uh, where it's like we're focused on nutrition almost too much, where we don't eat maybe anything that's bad for us, which I'm not saying that you need potato chips or chocolate or junk food in your diet to be successful in an elite athlete. I'm just saying 
that a lot of times we will eat until we're full, but not past that. And then we come in, you know, at the end of the week undernourished. And then that leads to more injury too. I see that all the time. Yeah. Um, did you have a lot of resources available to you throughout your collegiate career in the way of like sports medicine and um, people that you could go to for help? Or was this something you just kind of had to learn on your own with the help of your coaches and teammates? Um, I mean, yes and no. We we didn't have like the best facilities in the world by any means. And uh, I mean, we did have an athletic training staff that we could go and ask questions and stuff, but they're... Um, you know, were they endurance specific? No. Um, you can say it. You not. can say it. They probably focused more on the bigger sports and the more popular sports. <laughs> yeah. The cross I mean, country track tends to get put the money, to the back burner. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, it's okay. I was know. there. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we didn't, I mean, we didn't get the attention that um, other sports did. And it's a lot of learn on your own. Um, there, There's not a, a lot of supplemental like learning to our sport outside of the coach just being there like this is what you're gonna run this is why we're running it but then like how to recover from that or signs or symptoms like the that gets lost on that you just have to learn from upperclassmen you know have good communication with your coach but not all coaches are obviously trained right you know in uh physical therapy or athletic training or you know any sort of exercise science degree so so how did, I mean, so how did, so give me some examples, I guess, of how you were able to um, learn to recover and heal and make it from practice to practice and then eventually to your meets without having to go through the training room and circumnavigate <laughs> the training room. Uh, yeah. What were some uh, tips and tricks that you learned along the way? Or what were some mistakes maybe that you made along the way as well? Yeah. So the uh, first mistake I made was I had a streak going, um, and I started this in high school, but I had a streak going that I'd run at least a mile every day. Um, and I did that for like, I think I was up to like 500 days. So it was like, it's been over a year and, or whatever and, and stuff, which, you know, it's a cool stat, but at the end of the day, there was some times in there where like my senior year of high school, I was legit injured like i couldn't run any more than that one mile a day <laughs> oh, man. and i was running the rest of my mileage on like an underwater treadmill oh, no. or an ultra g uh and stuff and i did that for probably five or six weeks which is the stupidest thing i didn't tell the coach <laughs> i was doing this i just oh, had no. to keep the streak going you know um and then it just it took like eight weeks to get healed and stuff um so that would be a mistake yes, that i did definitely. is like not understanding that, you know, any ounce of, um, force that you put on to an already injured, you know, body part is not going to help it heal. Correct. So, you know, that's a mistake I did, but then the other on the, on the flip side, my freshman year of college, I was going through, uh, the IT band issue for probably the, about the same, length of time for the, the six weeks leading up to the conference meet. But I knew I had the conference meet in four to six weeks, and then I was going to get a break after that. So we took steps to mitigate kind of the effects of running. I, I ran less, I swam more, I did, you know, those kinds of things. I, I was in a, a boot for a little bit. So to yeah. kind of limit the range of motion that I put on, 
um, those limbs outside of practice um, and those kinds of things to get me to the meet. And then I ran the meet and then I took some time off and, and stuff. So it was a different mindset there. Whereas one was way early in the season, I should yeah. have just taken my you know time off and then got back into it. Whereas this one was later in the season. So I think that's, I mean, that's one takeaway is you got to know what the injury is. Is it going to make it worse if you keep pushing this through? Cause that was the thing with this. It was like, you know, tendonitis in the IT band. So it's just inflamed. It was going to stay inflamed until I took some time off to yeah. really deal with that and then take, you know, preventive measures later. Um, but yeah, that, I, that was my, my main takeaway there. And then I, I obviously have, um, a lot more as far as what to look for now, you know, nutrition, sleep, all those kinds of stuff right. too, uh, which I can get into if you want. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, my next, I guess, question was going to actually segue into that because um, one thing that I'm no expert in by any means um, has to deal with the actual recovery and what to do. And my advice typically to my patients is usually, well, number one, rest, right? Rest does the body good. And mm-hmm. and I'm not saying, and, and I think you mentioned this earlier, when I say rest, it doesn't mean you don't do anything, but you yeah, should exactly. do something just not the thing that's going to injure you more. Yeah. And so uh, I'm <laughs> a big... doing uh, nothing right. is worse than right. not doing anything. Exactly. And, and I'm a big proponent of cross-training. And uh, mm. I, you know, at the coll- competitive collegiate level, we don't really see much of that, especially in season. So I guess with your podcast, you probably get into this a lot. And um, what, what I guess the question would be, do you incorporate some type of cross-training into a competitive season? Do you focus more on the off season as a way of injury prevention so that when you get to the season, you can just go straight into your activity and focus more on that? I mean, how how do you do it with with yourself and with your, um, throughout your career, how have you kind of done it? And what what did you find most successful? Yeah. So with cross training first, just to kind of my definition of cross training is basically anything ancillary to your actual correct um, event. You correct. Know? Yes. So you're exactly uh, right. Like like you mentioned swimming, that would be an example, right? Like yeah, weight training, yeah. you know, th- something else to maintain yep. some level of fitness and still, you know, uh, in- increase your cardiovascular capacity, but without stressing the same muscles and joints that you normally do. Yeah, exactly. So um, what I have found to kind of the pillars of recovery if you will, or like a healthy athlete is sleep, nutrition, mobility. Um, so mobility is what I typically focus on when I'm thinking about cross training for running. I, I still do predominantly all of my cardiovascular um, work running um, because I think that is important to, you know, to do that in the form that you're actually uh, doing that with. Cause there it is like, any runner will tell you if you're really good at running doesn't mean you're good at swimming Correct. right <laughs> and vice versa uh, just because it's a whole different muscle group that you're working so i think it's important to still keep that as the same but as to that point if you're running all of the time you're very immobile um, I tell people I'm the worst dancer because my hips can only go one direction. They go forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they can't go side to side yeah. at all. Uh, and that's something I've been working on in the last uh, few years. It's just overall 
mobility. And I don't think that is a conversation that is taught to athletes enough. It's like, how is your body supposed to move? Right? Like this should be fundamental to elementary school kids that like, okay, your shoulder is supposed to go through this motion. If it can't go through this you know, motion, then we need to work on mobility. Your hip is supposed to be able to have this range of motion, you know, and then that's where you can find like where you're susceptible then to injury down the road is where you're immobile. Um, you know, for instance, when I got done running, and, and collegiately, I didn't do basically any upper body weight training for four years because if you're lighter, you run faster. And I got done. I was like, I'm going to start, you know, doing some upper body weightlifting uh, or just overall strength because I plan to have a family. I want to be able to lift my child, you know. Uh, and I got down. I did ten push-ups. I'm sore for a week. <laughs> you're like, like oh my god. <laughs> Like I couldn't lift my arms above my shoulders because, um, and and it wasn't necessarily because I was like just totally weak. It was, I was weak, but also that range of motion, like I was, I was lifting or pushing in a different range of motion that I haven't ever done um, in a really long time. Yeah. I mean, you just totally neglected that part of your body for how many years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I started looking into it. I started digging into like, it was it was, wasn't a normal soreness. It was like a, <laughs> it felt like a pinched nerve oh, or, no. or something. And I was like, did I just hurt myself doing 10 pushups? <laughs> uh, but I looked into it more and I was like, oh, my range of motion in my shoulders like is pathetic. <laughs> like it's like a cow, you know, it has uh, like 30 degrees of <laughs> range of motion or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't move my shoulders. And so once I started focusing on that and, and, you know, getting that range of motion back into my shoulders, I was like, almost instantaneously, I could do more pushups without getting sore just because I was I had that range of motion in there. Um, so I'm not saying that range of motion is equivalent to strength because that's not necessarily a fact, but uh, it is equivalent to potentially being less sore <laughs> afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You want to maintain <clears throat> the pliability and flexibility in your joints and your muscle groups for sure, tendons. Um, so these are all the things that you kind of learned along the way. And what I've always found with some of the athletes I've dealt with who are runners is, and we talked a little bit about this beforehand as well, they tend to actually peak as far as their personal bests and their overall fitness levels and their ability to run at either distance or competitively well after their collegiate career is over. And part of that is probably for the reasons we've already discussed, uh, just learning your body, knowing what is being injured, what is not, learning how to maybe properly adapt and recover, which is your kind of ball game there. Would you agree with that statement? And and if so, um, what do you think the reasons are for that? Aside from what we've already talked about, is there anything else that you think contributes to that? Yeah, so I, I think biologically, um, your body just kind of is naturally like at its athletic prowess, if you will, at that 29, 30 uh, years. And we see it in the endurance running world where the longer you go, the later like your peak is. I mean, you can still see people in their late 30s, early 40s um, competing at you know world-class level in the marathon and stuff. You don't see that as much in you know the 1500, 5K 
as opposed to Bernard Lagat. He's one of those that is like, he's been in the sport forever. Uh, I think he is retired now. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, he's gone to five Olympics and stuff. So to answer your question, I think the reason for it besides biologically is you're in a, then like, you have to take it serious after college for one, because there's a lot of college athletes that are, I mean, competing at a world-class level. If you look at the 1500 meter at the Olympic trials, that was just won by a college athlete. Right. So there's that talent there, but so many college athletes don't understand like that their life has to be about their sport for them to get to that level, right? It's, you can't be going to parties. You can't be staying up late. And then there's a lot of stresses in college as as well. When you get into that world, because you're moving out of home for the first time, you're trying to fit into a new, um, you know, friend group, you're in a potentially a different city, you know, and, and for the first time in your life, you're making your decisions by yourself. So no matter you know how mature you think you are in high school, I thought I was pretty mature. College was still an eye opening for me. It was like, oh hey, like you know, <laughs> I I can literally do whatever I want, <laughs> and then there's some freedom to that, and there's like, yeah, great. But then there's also some like you know anxiety with that as yeah. well. So I think that's part of it too. It's just the adjustment to college. You see a lot of high school athletes come into their freshman year of college should improve, but don't because of that adjustment. And then you see them um, really hit their stride their junior, senior year. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of the other pillars of your recovery uh, uh, mindset uh, having to do with sleep. And I, I'm sure that improves once you get out of college because God knows you, there's not much <laughs> sleep going on in college campuses these days or any day for that matter. Yeah. or And at least not consistent or at the same time. And then, you know, you have your um, your coaches sometimes don't even understand like sleep uh, as well, where they'll have late practices and then you have to get up early in the morning, uh, and, and those kinds of things. So once you get out of that environment where you can say, yeah, I'm waking up at six o'clock every morning and that's, you know, that's good. And I'll go to bed at, you know, eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever to get your nine to 10 hours of sleep. Um, you know, and then, you have all that uh, as well. Not only are you getting probably more sleep, but better sleep because you don't have all the noises, the distractions and those kinds of things as well. Sure. So tell us a little bit more about your uh, podcast. Um, um, I've listened to a a bunch of episodes, but give my listeners a idea of what uh, type of topics you guys discuss. And if you have any uh, upcoming guests or anything you want to plug while you're here with me, uh, what should they look forward to? Yeah. So my podcast, it's all, all about recovery, you know? So the idea is that there's a lot of shows that talk about, you know, training philosophy and training philosophy can differ obviously very much from endurance athletes to speed and power athletes, uh, vice versa. Even within those little silos, there's a lot of different philosophies there. Uh, we just take like everything after the workout, what happens from workout to workout. That's what we talk about. And we talk about, uh, you know, not only physical what happened, but also mentally uh, as well. So how do you get back into the game mentally after a loss and those kinds of things? But um, each each podcast episode is structured around either a professional athlete or a world-class athlete 
and just kind of a breakdown of their career and their recovery routine to get them to that point and their you know thoughts on it which is a little less scientific, more anecdotal. Um, and then we have researchers, you know, world-class researchers that are really on the front lines of, you know, are, does beetroot juice actually make you, you know, recover faster, tart cherry sure. juice, or, you know, how to sleep right. properly? What's the latest in, uh, you know, coffee? Does that actually work or, or not? Or, you know, good for you sure. or not. Yeah, I did, a, um, I did an episode on some cafe, uh, caffeine, uh, its effect on the, the body uh, as, it re, re, uh, as it involves uh, performance. So yeah, that's a great topic too. Um, yeah. So, and, and we do a little bit of the prep prep for um, the competition and, and races and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well. And you know, that's, I, I, that's again, why I wanted to have you on because I, I can't honestly say that I've come across a running podcast as of yet that focuses on the part that actually doesn't involve running, <laughs> but yeah, but the, probably the most important part, which is the parts between running when yeah. people are often not taking care of themselves properly or preparing properly. I mean, it's, it's like so yeah. crucial to being successful and being able to do the activities that most runners want to do and be able to do it with any sort of longevity and health that totally. it's often overlooked. So when I came across your your bio, when I came across your podcast and I reached out to you, I thought this would be a great topic because I get asked this question all the time and I'm like, I'm not the guy to ask that. Like if, you, <laughs> if you're hurt, then you come to me. If you want to avoid getting injured, you need to talk to other runners and people yeah. who are in that profession or in uh, that sport who can guide you and help you and give you some good tips and pointers on how they've avoided injury because I guarantee you, that they learned the hard way. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we, I'm not a runner. We call it, we call it prehab. Yeah, there you you're, go. Exactly. You're, you're and that's doing a perfect term. Before rehab. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, yeah, I'm the last guy you want to ask that because usually when you start talking to me, it's because you've already tried that and failed miserably and you end up in my <laughs> office. So yeah. I had to have you on because I thought that was a great... Uh, <laughs> Uh, my great. goal, my goal is to put people like you out of business because then they don't need you. Listen, <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, I'd rather see people out there running, being healthy, and not having to come see us. Uh, as we all get older, eventually they'll have to see me at some point anyway. So if I can keep yeah. them out while they're young, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> you're never gonna avoid injury 100 percent because they're gonna step off a curb sometime or you know on a trail run or what have you. There, there's injuries that happen just of being a part of sport because it's unexpected. But we're trying to keep the the ones that are like face palm, like <laughs> I should have seen this coming. Right. Uh, those are the injuries we're trying to avoid, as well as uh, we talk a lot about burnout on my show as well because that. Uh, that correlates a lot with actually my story and how I kind of ended my collegiate career. Sure. But it's also um, a differentiator of people that have the talent to perform in their late 20s to potentially be world-class that never do because they burn out of their sport in college and stuff. So we talk a lot about that too. Yeah, I think running's probably got to be one of the most, it's got to be one of the higher rates of burnout amongst some of the athletes. Oh, no kidding. Because I mean, that's, I mean, that's literally all they do. Mm -hmm. um, what does your um, career look like now? What have you got going on outside of running? Are you got some other things going on kind of around the, that field of work or study? Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> like I said, I kind of got burnt out of running, yeah. uh, which is you know not a surprise. And I actually find it's funny if you ask any runner 
now that does it for um, just like casual um, or rec running that probably didn't run in college. <laughs> and if you... That, that's if a you, lot of the people that I get reaching out to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a bad uh, thing. I'm just... It's just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I, I talked to a lot of people that ran in college that don't run anymore and they've found a different sport. Um, I found a difference for it. I, I do Spartan races now or obstacle course racing. Um, I, I like decided that's what I was going to do after I took a year off from doing anything athletic um, from college because I was like, I'm just going to be a bum. I'm so sick and tired of getting my butt out of bed and running and stuff. I was like, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I'm sure your and body then, appreciated it for that time too. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you probably felt uh, better than ever. <laughs> it did if I would have ate better too. But <laughs> I was like, I'm just not going to uh, focus on nutrition at all because I was just like burnt out of everything. So I was a bum for a year. Then I came back and surprisingly, my fitness was still pretty uh, high. Like it didn't take too long to get it back and um, started doing obstacle courses. And then uh, the the whole world shut down with the pandemic and stuff. So I got like two in last year and then um, had a my first child at the beginning of this year. So I haven't really raced yet until I have one in two weeks from today or tomorrow. Um, that I'm doing. So that's, that's what I'm doing now athletically is obstacle course racing. And then I have my, um, you know, my, my podcast that I talk to athletes and stuff. So. And have you had to change any of your philosophy as far as your training or prehab uh, leading up to this obstacle racing stuff? Or is it similar to what you were doing while you were doing your track and cross country? Um, yeah. Obstacle course racing is a lot different because there's uh, a lot of moving parts. One, you actually have to be strong, right? <laughs> you can't just, you know, you can't be sore after 10 pushups and expect right. to do well. Uh, so I've been doing a lot more upper body strength and overall strength and then overall mobility and core and stuff because there's different weird movements that you have to do on obstacles that you need to be able to get through uh, and those kinds of things. But overall, I've been, I, I focus now more on, the health of myself long-term after the sport rather than just performing, you know, at my peak performance in the sport. And I think that's where I was missing in college that kind of got me burnt out is I didn't care like, you know, at 30, if my body was broken, but I was, you know, a world world-class champion world champion or whatever, like I would have been happy. Now I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll get top 10 and then have a nice life afterwards. You know, that's kind of my, more my mentality is like, and being a father will definitely put things in perspective as well. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so do I want to be broken by the time my kid is six and then not be able to do anything with him? Mm, probably not. <laughs> um, so I don't follow track and cross country as much as, um, you know, I'm sure you do obviously, but, um, you know, I have, some knowledge of the events just from my previous experience and working with the athletes that I've worked with. Um, who, if, if, you know, with all the track stuff going on with the Olympic trials and everything just this past weekend and this week, um, any favorites of yours, anybody to watch out for who, who's your predict, any bold predictions going into the Olympics that you have, uh, regarding some of the oh, USA man. athletes anyway. Um, <laughs> honestly, I should follow more than I do to my own sport. Um, I used to follow a lot closer than I do now. And then with the whole burnout thing, I just kind of like let it go for yeah, a while. I do know, um, I think his name is Cole Hawker. Um, 
that won the 1500 that kind of surprised me. He was a, a University of Oregon um, sophomore or, or junior. Um, I could be spitting out wrong facts as far as um, I, I do know <laughs> that an Oregon student who was a sophomore or junior won, but his name could have been um, missed. Are you a familiar? Bit like, there. Were, were you familiar with the? There was like a seventeen-year-old too that was like lighting up the men's division in some of the sprints, like the two hundred meters, I think. And are you familiar with him? Um, I couldn't tell you what his name was, but seventeen years familiar. old. Yeah, he was like setting some record. He like break broke one of Usain Bolt's under seventeen records or something. But oh, because he was uh, Trayvon, because, like Bromel, something like that. Yeah, but because he went pro, it didn't qualify toward the amateur record. So he oh. broke Usain Bolt's record <laughs> for his age, but it technically didn't break it because he was pro. So some you know weird uh, quirky stuff like that. Yeah. When he because you get you get automatically a half second faster once you sign that pro That's contract. true. Yeah. Well there's yeah. a lot more motivation. So <laughs> Come, coming by way of dollars and stuff and sponsors. Uh yeah. No, I, I just kind of enjoy watching um the races unfold now. I don't follow too too closely to like who's going to do what. Um, I do like Matthew Centrowitz is always uh, a good you know bet on just because he's has the experience and he's still fit and stuff. But uh, a quick side note: when Matthew Centrowitz won the Olympics in 2016, that year. Um, that that spring before the Olympics, I ro- went 349 in the 1500, 349 flat, and he won the Olympics with a 350. Wow! And I was like, "Heck, you I could have won the Olympics." You missed right? your calling. Hey, well, that's something. <laughs> I hope you have a printout or something, a framed printout of your actual timesheet there for record keeping purposes and to prove it. But that's, a, yeah. that's I mean. That'll, just, that'll make you think twice about your uh, <laughs> career choice there. Yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, he ran it a lot differently. Uh, if, you, if you're into in, endurance sports at all, you'll know that sometimes races go out really slow and then they, it's a really fast kick and at the Olympics there, uh, which is why the time was overall slower. Uh, but it's just funny. That's another claim to fame I had when I was watching with my team. I was like, I beat that. I beat that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's a, I mean, that's awesome, though. It, got, it had to make you feel good on a certain level, too, right? Like, you're like, yes, yeah. I still got it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, listen, it's been awesome having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to jump on here and talk to me and answer some questions that not only did I have for my own personal knowledge, but a lot of my listeners and people who've reached out to me are constantly asking me that I can't provide them. So thank you for, for helping me in that regard as well. Yeah. Uh, it's been a very, edu- very informational, very educational. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it like this. You know, the, I still have the athletic trainer mentality. When I watch the Olympics and I see these guys sprinting in the 100 meters and 200 meters and the 15... I'm just on the sideline and or in my living room watching on TV, cringing, waiting for a hamstring to let go. And I almost feel the urge to still run out there and do something about it. But I have to remind myself that, no, those days are long over. Uh, these guys are good. They're, they know what they're doing. Um, yeah, man. But, uh, the, I mean, you still see hamstrings all the time in the 100 and the 110 hurdles. It's like you have to hold your breath. I, I feel my hammies are off. like, my hammies start screaming at me when I'm watching them on TV. I'm like, oh, man. I feel like I can feel <laughs> it about to happen to myself. I'm like, I can't look. 
Uh, but these guys are fine-tuned machines, so most of them don't have a problem. But yeah. anyway, Jace Craft joining us here on the injured list. Uh, I want to say thank you once again. And uh, Jace, if they, people are looking for you, because I know you do some speaking things as well, right? Uh, do you talk to like groups of runners? or ha- What is that? How does that work? So everything I do so right now is just virtual. Um, so I can certainly, you know, chat with a, a team or um, a group of, you know, athletes if you want me to. Um, I do have a, a page to go to jacecraft.com slash speak. And then um, that's where you would find out like my bios and headshots and that kind of stuff and get in contact with me that way. Um, my name is spelled J-A-S-E-K-R-A. AFT, um, just in case you're wondering there. Uh, And then the other place to get in contact me would be the scienceofsportsrecovery.com. There's a contact uh, page there as well. So I'd I'd check um, either one. They go to my email. So, um, and I'm pretty responsive on those. So those would be the two places to get in contact with me. Awesome. And uh, when do you um, usually publish your episodes? Uh, Every Tuesday morning. I, I'm publishing them and I'm actually just um, about to start some live events as well um, here towards the end of July, beginning of August, depending on when things get organized. But I'll be doing live events on like nutrition or sleep kind of workshops, if you will, or that's what I'll probably call them as athlete workshops, um, just to learn a little bit extra on the recovery side of things. Um, and to get more educated on, you know, we'll have mobility workshops as well. So if you're, if you are one of those people that are like, well, how should my shoulder move? You know, uh, that would be a good thing to check out some of our mobility workshops. Where, where can they find those workshops? Where will you be doing those on? Um, so I'll have the information uh, on the scienceofsportsrecovery.com website. Nothing's up there yet. It might be by the time this gets published. But otherwise, you can just reach out to me um, or listen to the Science of Sports Recovery podcast because I'll be announcing it on there too. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, there you hear it from Jace himself. So uh, if you're looking to maybe have him come speak or do a virtual talk to some of your athletes looking for some advice on recovery and sustaining yourself throughout the course of a season or a career for that matter, uh, Jace is the guy. He's an accomplished Division II champion, uh, now an accomplished podcaster, and a recovery expert when it comes to running. So, uh, Jace, uh, appreciate you joining us again. And uh, we look forward to uh, maybe working with you again in the future and listening to some more of your podcast episodes coming up soon here. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jace Craft. Thank you, Jace. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the kind words. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com.